Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Leslie, host of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. You're listening to the Sheriff Podcast. Another episode of The Sheriff. Guys, tonight I feel blessed to do this show because the man that I have with me for this episode is a guy that I really look up to. He did the role in hockey the right way. And the theme for this episode, guys, is going to be resilient, reliable, and tough as nails. The gentleman that I'm speaking about, guys, without further ado... Mr. Reed Lowe, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing very good. Uh, those are kind words. All I was trying to do is stay alive, brother. I hear you, Reed. And I'm <laughs> going to get into what I mean by that. I usually have a theme for the episode, and it's going to come out throughout the show for when we go. Now, listen, Reed, what I want to get across to the audience right away is that I tried to do an NHL career. I fell a little bit short. I got a sniff read, but I was an AHL guy, which I'm really proud of. You know what I mean? I spent my time in the AHL, got to go overseas for a couple seasons, and I'm really proud of what I did in my career. But you, my friend, what I saw from you, straight from junior all the way to getting drafted, to doing your time in the American League and then finally playing for the National Hockey League team read and not just getting a sniff, but really making a mark for an organization, which we're going to get into later. But like I your 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 way that you went about it, Reed, is the way that I wish my career went. Right. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit and we're going to figure out how resilient, reliable and tough as nails is always going to come up in our conversation. Cool, man. Moose Jaw. Moose Jaw, where it all started, buddy. Do you know where Moose Jaw is? I do know where Moose Jaw is because I played with a couple guys that played in the Western League, but I want to hear this from you. How was it for you growing up in Moose Jaw, my friend? Well, so I'll tell you a little story before we get off. It was my very first training camp. I was on the elevator with Joel Quinville, who was, uh, was, the, was the coach, and uh, it just gotten hired out of Colorado the year before after Mike Keenan got fired. And then I had my first pro training camp and I'm on an elevator with him and Patty Ganell, who was the scout that drafted all of the tough guys that were literally from Saskatchewan for like three decades with the blues. And they're like, the one guy's like, Hey, where's uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan? Where's that? And I had no other. And I'm on an elevator with the head coach and four scouts, and I'm like six feet from Moose's ass, right? And so that's that's just that's just kind of who I was and how I responded to stuff. And the coaches were dying laughing, even the scouts died laughing. But um, you know, for me, growing up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, um, you know, it, it, it's my hometown. It's where I'm from. It's where my family lives. My friends. Um, and then to get an opportunity as a 19 and an overage 20 year old in the Western Hockey League 
to play in Moose Jaw and to have the success that I had while I was in Moose Jaw um, was just a, a, a really a dream come true. And then uh, probably seven or eight years ago, I was inducted into the Moose Jaw Warrior Hall of Fame. Uh, it will be the only Hall of Fame I get inducted into, but such an honor, such a privilege, uh, just a great place. And um, it's just, a, it's it's legendary. Like we're in slap shot. Okay, because I, I have a lot of questions about Moose Jaw, buddy. So I'm glad that, that you're, you built it up the way you did. So now listen, when you were growing up, were the Warriors a major junior team from when you were really young? Yes. So they started in the Western Hockey League in 84, and I was six then. Yes. Um, and so my aunt and uncle, they billeted players the whole way along, Lyle Odeline, um, Mike Keene. Like I was a little really? kid, and those guys were living at my aunt and uncle's house, and I ended up fighting Odie. And Mike Keene ended up being a teammate uh, of mine in the NHL. So uh, the surrealness that kind of circled around and followed us uh, to the NHL was some of those guys. Kelly Buckberger was actually as it was a triple A midget and lived with my family. And I ended up fighting him, too. So uh, just, <laughs> a, 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 you know, played against Theron Fleury, who was in Moose Moosha has brought a ton of great players out, um, you know, and, and to – to, to have some of the stories that I have knowing those guys as a young kid growing up and then to actually kind of play against them in the NHL level and, and have some success against them was pretty awesome. Well, yeah, Reed, I mean, those names you just said blew, blew me away though, right? But like what I find even more interesting is I was going to ask you, so Reed, was it, you know, did you look up to the Moose Jaw Warriors? Did you ever go to games? Buddy, you're, so your aunt and uncle billeted players. Yeah. That's like being a part of the team. That's yeah, incredible. It was, it was unbelievable. And, and you know, we as kids, like, that's what it was. We went to the Warrior Games, like, and we even got to go on school nights, you know what I mean? And um, so just a just a great organization all the way along. It's been a, uh, you know, a, a city-owned franchise forever. Um, and, you know, they just continue to, you know, they, the old crush can, they don't have that anymore. They tore it down, the Civic Center. Um, and if you don't, if you don't, if you need to look that up, I won't describe it to you, but basically it was concrete pillars that supported a metal roof and it looked like the, an indented crushed can. And then all the ice level and everything was like 25, 30 feet below the ground. And so they ended up building a new rink there now. And so the team gets to play out of something half decent, but it was cold as hell, man. And people hated coming in there. And, you know, when we used to play, the Regina pets. I used to have three fights every night. It was awesome. I loved it. Wow. Wow. So what did the arena seat back then, Reed? Do you remember? It was about 3,300. Okay. And, so, so decent. Yeah. Decent for old standards. Obviously now, if you don't got 5,000, you're kind of on the way out. So they had to build something and, you know, they got to be respectful with what the Moose Jaw Warrior and the Moose Jaw Warrior or the Moose Jaw community can, can support and can hold. And I want to say they've got about 5,000, maybe 5,500 in the new ring. It's a beautiful facility. It's got a curling rink uh, on the other side of it. As uh, a lot of people in the United States know now, after the 16 Olympics, curling's pretty big in Canada. So um, yeah. it's a it's a beautiful facility that they uh, that they built there. And I've been back a few different times, so it's good to see that they're doing well. Okay, all right. So now this is this is getting exciting, buddy. So your family's pretty much part of the team. Your aunt and uncle. You idolize these guys, okay? So now you're starting to get a little bit older, right, Reed? Now, 
I see the size of you, bro. Like we're the same size. Like my playing weight was six four, about two twenty five. You're you were about six four, two thirty, two thirty five. Yep. Okay. okay. It should have been two twenty five. <laughs> okay, right on, right on. So now, Reed, were you all, were you huge right off the hop? Like, were you always the biggest guy on the team? Was that the situation? No. So when I was in the ninth grade, I was uh, February. I got a picture, Richie Hall, which. Maybe some remember, some don't, but he was the defensive back for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 1989 when they won the Great Cup. And he came in 1990 to my school and he was standing there and we got a picture in the yearbook and we're both 5'6", February of the ninth grade. I played defensive back for the football team that year and by uh, my 10th uh, grade year, I was six foot two and uh, a backup defensive lineman and offensive lineman. I grew I grew eight inches in about seven months. Okay, that that's incredible. But but Reed, what I'm hearing right now is football positions, brother. So, what what level of hockey were you playing at that time? Uh, I was a tier two hockey player my whole life, bro. Um, I played uh, Pee Wee Double A, and then I played two years of major junior. I tell this to people all the time. I played three years of tier one hockey before I signed an NHL contract. Wow. Okay, so Reed, you're a big boy. You're playing tier two type of hockey. Now, I'm a stat guy, man. So right before this Regina Moostra experience, okay, I see that you played a year for the, and I don't, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, is it the Minot Americans? Minot. Minot, okay. Minot, so Minot, Minot, Dakota was a Saskatchewan junior team. Uh, uh, in American, you know, obviously in the United States. And so we used to have to travel up there and I wasn't supposed to make the team. I was a 17 year old. I was getting, I was, uh, I, I played midget double A my first year midget. My second year, I had a good spring with Minot and I went down to main camp and I scored four goals and, uh, and fought the two of the toughest guys in the team from the year before. And one rookie tough guy that was kind of battling with for a position and, uh, had a good fight against the guy from the year before and beat the tits off the guy that, uh, uh, was the up and comer. And I got the four goals and I got into the, the coach's office after with Jim rock, who's actually a, a scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs now. And he said, do you think you can do that again? I'm like, score four goals in the game. He's like, no, beat the shit out of guys. I'm like, well, does it mean I'm going to make the team? He's like, yeah. I'm like, coach, you point them out. I'll take them out. And, you know, uh, he literally, he was the first guy that really gave me an understanding of when to go out and do that because I was, I scored goals for the most part. And, and I was, uh, you know, as Bantam and Midget were on, I was doing a little bit of fighting. I was the big guy in the team. So I had to take care of it, but I really didn't understand the role the way that I understood it years down the line. And um, so we just, uh, you know, I just jumped in there and that was really my first experience with fighting. So, okay. And fair enough. And, and thank you for sharing that. Cause that's really, really cool insight read, but brother, so you make this team. Okay. And it looks like you absolutely lit up the league, man. As far as the physical department, buddy, I see that you had 300 pounding minutes, but brother, you also had 16 points. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. you really, really, really made a mark there. You made a statement. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I tell this story to people all the time. My first year as a 17 year old, I was a healthy scratch, a few games. And I'm back in that league in those days in the Saskatchewan junior league. If you got in a fight, you got booted out. 
So there yeah. was times that my dad would travel to, you know, Yorkton, Saskatchewan or Melville or Labrette or Weyburn or Estevan. And I'd get in a fight in the first period. And, and <laughs> there was, a, even though I was out of the game, I got to hang out with my dad and we watched hockey together for the rest of the game. And I had such a great hockey dad because he didn't really get in the way. He was just always didn't never gave me any trouble for anything, but not being a great teammate, not being coachable and not working hard. Those are the only things three things my dad would would give me hell for and so we got to watch the game we got to talk about it my dad was never really a hockey player but he loved the game and he watched the game so he was familiar with the game and and so we used to work on it together and then my second year were those were the stats so that's actually I played two and a half years or two and change and then as a 19 year old rookie well actually halfway through my 18 year old year I went up and played two games with the Regina Pats got sent back to the American League obviously high school wasn't my uh uh, scholarships really weren't where I was probably going to get to go. But uh, I so I tried out for the Moose Jaw Warriors, my hometown team, and got into, uh, you know, where a situation with Al Tour, um, who was the coach, and now he's a, a head scout for the Florida Panthers, where he's like, yeah, you're going to get an opportunity, you're going to get an opportunity. Well, I got cut before inter-squad game, and I beat two of the toughest guys up on the team. And it was really, I was like, what the heck? And I almost quit hockey, and my dad talked me into going back down to Minot, so I went back down to Minot. I was only down there for seven games. I had 10 goals, seven assists, and I got called back up to the Western League. Uh, played the rest of the season there. Had played 60 games, had like 36 fights and probably 15 or 15 or 16 points or something like that. And then I ended up getting drafted as a 19-year-old by the St. Louis Blues. So I went from quitting, wanting to quit hockey to getting drafted in a 10-month period. Okay, so <laughs> the story is getting better and better here, Reed. So you're a 19-year-old major junior player. Rookie. Te techni rookie. Technically, it's your first year. You're yeah. 19 years old. But this is the way I see it, Reed, okay? So this young kid, this young kid, he says, give me a shot in my hometown. Give me a shot in my hometown. Let me play for my major junior hometown. And I'm going to give you 20 points and 220 pims in my draft year okay <laughs> that's what i'm gonna give so mr reed Lowe, that's what you're able to put together in a year that you know is your draft year were you rated throughout that season yeah i was i was rated 172 i think when we went into the draft and i think i got okay. drafted at 177 and you know, my draft year was actually as a 17-year-old because at that time you got drafted as 17, 18-year-old. So to get drafted at 19 wasn't a regular occurrence back in 1996. Like they were more focused on the younger kids. But again, I mentioned the name earlier. Patty Gannell was a scout in the Western Hockey League and very well respected by the St. Louis Blues organization. And he drafted and, and didn't draft, but he brought Chaser and Twister and DJ King and the list of anybody from Western Canada that had any toughness that came to the St. Louis Blues, you know, Patty Gannell was a part of that. So he was like, wow. you got to draft this guy because someone's going to pick him up if we don't. And so they took a, they took a flyer on me. Well, well, Reed, I mean, yes, I agree with you, but remember that we were saying about the theme, right? Reliable, resilient, reliable, tough as nails, right? So yeah. now the same kid, Reed, the same kid that says, give me a shot in my hometown and I'll give you 20 points and, and 220 pims and fight every heavyweight and beat everyone up. That's what I'll give you. So what does he do? He gets drafted, works his butt off that summer, 
comes back and plays another year for Moose Jaw, and give me give me another shot in my hometown, and maybe I'll give you thirty points and two hundred and thirty pims. How about that? Right? Yeah. It. I. I. It was. I was so fired up. Like all my buddies would come to the games. They'd stand behind the net. They'd all be like throwing their fists at me like we want to see you fight and uh, me and my buddies we actually looked this up a while back and I, I want to say it was like either 73 or 76 fights in 123 or 125 games in the western hockey league in two seasons so um it was uh it was something that i love to do it's something i was there was we had some other toughness on the team but i was the main guy and you know that my my overage year i actually was drafted by the blues and if i i i if I would have went to Blues training camp, I could have signed with them and actually played in the minors that year. But I broke my tailbone in training camp, and I was out really? for 16 weeks. And so Larry Plo was the general manager of the Blues, and and Al Tour was the coach and general manager. And they're like, listen, guy's kind of a late bloomer. I thought my hockey career was over. Like, I was devastated. And um, so they start talking, and Al Tour's like, listen, it's going to be okay. You're going to wear an A, you're going to be a leader on this team, and, and we're going to do things. And we went to the uh, second round with the Lethbridge Hurricanes, and I actually fought Dale Purrington five nights out of six, five out of six games that, that year in that playoffs. And then the Lethbridge Hurricanes ended up going to the Moral Cup final and losing to the whole Olympique. And, you know, we were really the only team that kind of gave them a run for their money. And, you know, part of it was because, you know, I was uh, digging into Dale and, and, and Michael Grady and, and letting them both know that there was somebody that wanted to kick the shit out of them. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that playoff run because I seen the 12 games played. And when I see 12 games played, I'm thinking a, a deep second round, third round, maybe even a conference final. Like, yeah, man. So, so, so you guys did give them a run for their money before they got into the Mem Cup tournament. Yeah, we, they, uh, I want to say they only lost three games through the whole thing and two of them was to us. Really? Yeah, we lost wow. four, we lost uh, four games to two, and the match before the the uh, the series, our first round series, we were a seven seed, and the Brandon Wheat Kings were a second seed, and we beat them big upset um, on them. We beat them in six games, so it was a great team. We were a group of guys that came together, and um, just a, I, I'm still I still talk to a lot of the guys. Um, I don't know if you ever came across a guy named Ryan Tobler, but he was on that team. He ended up getting traded as a 20-year-old and ended up living with me and my dad. Uh, just a really one of my favorite years of hockey that I ever had. And, and I mean, I'm, and it sounds like it sounds like that was probably a time in your career that gave you a lot of confidence as well, though, right, Reed? Yeah, you know, I, I love the role, and and I, you know, I'll tell you right now, I've never been in a bar fight or street fight ever in my life. Uh, I'm not a fighter. I don't like fighting, um, but I am a protector and. Um, when I, and, and honestly, um, I wasn't that popular growing up, so I didn't have a lot of friends. And when I started to get into the enforcer role and actually had a lot of success at it, and I saw how my teammates reacted to it and I saw how it made them feel about me and how it made them love me. It actually pushed me harder to want to do it more and to want to make them two inches taller and 20 pounds heavier and take care of everybody and so it ended up being kind of like a lifeline for me, um, so to speak, growing up. 
Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. I love the way you explain that, Reed, because I feel the same way on different levels. You know what I mean, Reed? And 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 it's really, really important to get that kind of insight across because people don't hear that every day, brother, right? This is this is some this is some really juicy stuff, man. And as a fan, Reed, I'm eating it up right now, man. And I'm <laughs> I'm loving it. And then so okay, so I, I just want to back up just a little bit. Because yep. I want to back up to the draft, okay? okay? So now, Reed, man, this is the St. Louis Blues, right? And and so you're, you're a seventh-round pick, 177th overall. So now, where was your draft? So my draft was in St. Louis. <laughs> no way! Did yeah. you go to the draft? I didn't go to the draft because um, the draft was on June 22nd. It was a Saturday, and my birthday was June 21st, and... Um, it was my 19th birthday. And as we know in Saskatchewan, uh, you can start <laughs> drinking legally at 19. Uh, not that I hadn't had a couple beers before that, but I could legally go to the bar and I wasn't that guy that wanted to try and get in the bar early. I was just kind of good, kind of hanging out and doing my thing. And so I wanted to enjoy myself with my, with my friends and family. And I didn't want to have the disappointment if it didn't happen. Right. I was a 19 year old rookie in the NHL or in the Western hockey league. And you know, seventh round, and they I think they only like they had shortened it to from 12 rounds down to nine. I'm like, there's just yeah. as much of a chance I don't get drafted, and I don't want to go to the draft and sit there and, and and wait all that time and then be disappointed. I said, so if it is, it is, if it isn't, it isn't. And so I stayed home and I just got absolutely plastered, and everyone's feeding me tequila shots. I still don't do tequila to this day. Uh, because of that. Um, and and actually, crazy story about the draft. My agent calls me on the Saturday of the draft, and I'm literally sleeping. My dad comes in and says, hey, your agent's on the phone. I think he got drafted. I'm like, dad, you're going to have to tell him to call me back. I can't even get out of bed. So uh, it was that kind of moment. I woke up a little bit later. I called my agent. He's like, yeah, the St. Louis Blues drafted you. You're their seventh pick. Um, the whole crowd went absolutely bananas and they're excited. You know, I talked to the, cause he was down there. He had some other players that was in the draft and he's like, I talked to the coaching staff and the management and they're super excited to get you down here and whatever else. So, um, just an unbelievable experience and man, what an unbelievable birthday present. Okay. So, okay. So Reed, so now your first camp was St. Louis. Who was the guy that was on the NHL roster? Tony Twist and Kelly Chase. Gee, holy. What? Yeah. Maybe, like, they, they could definitely, you know, be equal to Probert Kosher for the, bit, the best duo in the history of the NHL, right? Yeah, that list, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of guys, like, there's a lot of teams that had a couple tough guys on it, but, um, you know, definitely, you know, Kelly Chase was never, like, a super heavyweight, but he fought all the heavyweights, he was a, like, super tough guy, he was a grappler, now this is Saskatchewan boy, obviously we know how tough Tony Twist is, um, just an absolute legend when it comes to knocking guys out and breaking orbital bones and splitting helmets and doing all the things that he's done in his hockey career, um, and so, yeah, coming in and I never fought them in my second year. I ended up fighting both of them in my, or sorry, my first year, my second year, I ended up fighting both of them. But my first year, I, they like back then they brought in every minor league tough guy I could possibly imagine. So we were the ones fighting it out to try and see if we could get some exhibition games and maybe get in there and really twister and chaser never did a whole lot of fighting in camp. Yeah. Like, and I was going to ask you about that because 
you know, you like it looks like it was obviously Wooster that was the AHL team, right? Worcester. Affiliate. And Welcome so the Yeah, I'm trying to say it like Gala 25. That's right. Little Adam Sandler right. for you. <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't like a guy that was on on, on the Ice Cats, they were called at the time. There wasn't a guy that was on the Ice Cats for a couple years. It was just like guys that they were bringing in every year in the minors. Yeah. They were filtering through it a little bit. They didn't have um, – the, and, again, it was one of the other reasons why they drafted me because they didn't really have any depth at the position. You okay. know, Twister um, at the time was, you know, kind of too tough for the league almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was having he was four five fights a game, and you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't really working on his skills and that kind of thing. And so it was like, even though he was a feared enforcer, there was guys who were just, like, denying him fighting, right? So that kind of limited what he could do and couldn't do. And and Chaser was getting a little bit up there in age, and they didn't have any depth at the position. So I think that when they kind of took a look at where I was at and what I could do for them, that's when they they drafted me. And then two or three years later, they drafted DJ King. And so I think they started to understand that, hey, listen, you know, we 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 don't have any we don't have any up and comers. We need to bring somebody in. We need to we need to train them up and, and get them going. And you know, both Kelly Chase and Tony Twist, well. Tony Twist and me have a special connection because our, our grandfathers fought in World War II together and we're best friends. And so there was a little bit of a connection there out of Saskatchewan. And, you know, Kelly Chase retired in 99 and I uh, made the Blues in 2000 and he was my mentor, right? Like uh, we talked before every game on who was there, you know, what their fighting style was, what there was going on, you know, what I needed to look for. You know, those two guys – you know, completely, totally took care of me my, you know, my whole hockey career and, and, and made sure that everything was okay and that I knew where I was at and, and the things that I needed to know. Okay, so, okay, Reed, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up, brother, because just as you're saying it, I'm thinking this, and I was thinking the same thing when I had your friend Bam Bam Cam Jansons as a guest as well on the show, okay? So now, Twister and, and, and Chaser, these guys – they stayed in town. Okay, so let's talk about Chase because you said he retired. So he obviously he must have stayed in town to be keeping close ties with you your first year, right? Yeah, so he was uh, – when he retired, he became the color guy for the Blues, him and Chris Kerber. So Chris Kerber was a play-by-play guy, and Chaser ended up becoming the color guy. And so Chaser was on all the flights. He was on all the trips. He was at all the games. And so that's where I kind of was good for me because I had a guy that was there all the time kind of taking care of me and looking after it. Um, But as far as guys living and staying in St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis Blues alumni is probably one of the biggest alumni in the NHL. There's probably 40-some guys that have retired in the city of St. Louis live raise their families here get back to the community coach hockey like we're very very fortunate these are the best fans in the world when you give your heart and soul blood sweat and tears to these people they remember you forever i I, it's it would be nothing for me to walk into a local grocery store snooks and sign a can of tomato soup tomorrow like it's unbelievable how unbelievable our fans are and the guys like to be around it and we do a lot of good for the town and we raise a lot of money and uh, the St. Louis Blues alumni is a, a really, really, really cool organization. I haven't heard of an organization or seen by like, you know, meeting guys and seeing where they're where, where they are and stuff, Reed, like St. Louis. Like you just said, 
I'm so glad that you just explained it like that because, man, it really seems like there's something really, really strong happening hockey-wise, alumni-wise. Not just the Blues, man, but it just seems like that whole region seems to be very strong character. Is that right? Un- unbelievable. Like, when you take a look, 2016 or 17, when there was five kids off that Chesterfield team here in St. Louis, Kachuk and, and Brown and Keller and uh, who are the other ones that were drafted in the first round? Like, there's countries that don't have five kids drafted in the first round, let alone one team in the middle of a St. Louis suburb, right? And obviously, Keith Kachuk and Jeff Brown, former NHLers, they were coaches on that team. And and there's some pedigree. And so that's important as well, obviously, giving back to the community. But that's the kind of thing that happened. But, brother, this started long before guys like me and Cam Jansen. And, you know, it, this is this is like Bobby Plager, who, you know, RIP to our, our godfather. Like, you know, Bobby Plager was drafted here uh, in the expansion draft in 1967. And when he passed away, he was the longest tenured person with the Blues from the time he was a player till the time he passed away, 53 years. And he literally did anything and everything the St. Louis Blues organization asked him to do. Um, You got guys like Bruce Affleck that started the Blues alumni in 1989. Uh, Rob Ramage is from here, and and he's instrumental in our city as well. Um, You know, Mike Zook, Larry Patey. John Winsink, these are names from the past that stayed here and and have helped hockey in the United States and more importantly in 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 St. Louis to grow to where we're at today and and it's a, it's a it, we have one little saying and it's called it's a privilege it's a privilege to do what we've done it's a privilege to be treated the way we get treated and it's our opportunity to give back to our community and make it better. Wow, man, and and you're you, You couldn't have said it better than that, Reed. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that, buddy, because that's really important stuff. This history of the blues is even richer than I knew. And I'm learning a lot. Like, I'm learning a lot lot right now, man. And I know the listeners are just loving this. Now, here is what it is for me with the St. Louis Blues, Reed. A guy from Toronto, so an Ontario kid, right? When I was growing up, I mean, obviously being a Leaf fan – Seeing the Blues have those good teams in the 90s and the early 2000s, right? But what really got me is when the great one played for St. Louis. When Wayne Gretzky played for the St. Louis Blues. For a Canadian kid like me from Ontario, what that proved to me, St. Louis is one legit NHL team. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, did it have the same effects for you or no? You know, honestly, like, um, I didn't even really know much about the Blues at that point in time. I got okay. drafted that summer, and I was always a Red Wings fan. And I wasn't – I wasn't a I – was, I, the Red Wings weren't my favorite team. I just cheered for them because Steve Eiserman was my favorite player. And I just loved his self-sacrifice to make the team better. You know, the epitome of playing for the name on the front, not the name on the back – this is a guy that could be a top end player and be selfish and say, Hey, no, it's about me. But as they got through the eighties and into the early nineties, this is a guy that gave up his first line position to become a defensive player, but still an offensive player in his own right. He won Frank J. Selke awards for best defensive forward. He did whatever it took for the team to win. And he ended up getting, uh, getting the gratitude he deserved with three Stanley cup championships. And, 
you know, so that was really where, like, I love Steve Eiserman, but then obviously when I got drafted by the St. Louis Blues, I was like, okay, now I'm a Blues fan. And yeah, uh, the first time I, I was 20 years old when I left Saskatchewan that year, and, you know, I drove on an interstate for the first time in my life, you know what I mean? Because literally the Trans-Canada Highway is like a country road to you people or to the people in the United States. So, um, you know, for us, we don't, we don't, you know, obviously Toronto is a little bit of a bigger hub, especially today, but, you know, in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, we don't have a lot of interstates up there. And so for me, that was kind of like a big deal. Like I came into St. Louis and I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what's going on. And so completely wet behind the ears. Um, but, you know, Wayne Gretzky coming to St. Louis, obviously his wife, Janet, is from the area. Um, Wayne still hangs out here today. They have a home here. Um, they spend actually quite a bit of time in St. Louis. He really likes it here in St. Louis. So, again, that just shows you what this town is like. You know, Wayne always goes to uh, Jim Campbell, Soupy, who's a Blues alumni that lives here too. He's got this little pub called the Guy Inn, And, you know, Gretzky goes in there all the time and watches the games. And the the, the, the people, the, the the patrons that are there, they just know that, he, he's looking for a place to not get bothered, and they just respect that. They respect that it's Wayne. You know, he's like high five. You know, he's just a good guy too. And it's like there's just that level of respect. They they understand what it's like, you know, and and just a great town. And it's why everybody wants to be here. Holly's retired here. Keith Kachuk, uh, Al McKinnis, Chris Pronger. Like the list is long, long, long of guys that are Jamie Rivers. Like the, I, it's unbelievable the amount of guys that stick back here and hang out here. And, you know, we've got an unbelievable alumni dressing room. We've got an awesome box at the rink. The blues and our relationship are very good. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, hopefully in the next 15 or 20 years, we can get the rest of the NHL alumni and the NHL teams to understand how successful they can be if they work together. Wow. And yes, Reed, like, yeah, say it, say it loud and clear, brother. This is the way you are, man. I'm loving this, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm on this train. Wow. This Blues alumni is special. Um, so Al McKinnis, you know, you mentioned that name. That's another guy, man. Because when I was growing up, this guy had the hardest shot in the NHL, man. He kept winning that competition. I think of him like I know he was Calgary. But I think of him as St. Louis for some reason, Reed. Like, like it, the Blues jersey has that effect on guys. You know what I mean? Like, it just it, it could take guys' careers over in a way. You know, I, I tell I tell this to people all the time. So first off, Steve Eiserman was my favorite player growing up, and I've never really met Steve. I've never really had a conversation with him. I'm sure I'm sure he's a super awesome guy. Um, but I played with Al for four years, and uh, not only is Al my favorite teammate that I've ever had, Al's my favorite person. Al's I'm I, I'm I I idolize Al like a hockey fan idolizes any great player. And you know I was thirty Al was thirty seven years old when I first came to St. Louis at training camp, and he was the most well conditioned athlete on our team. He won the he won everything. He was the man, and just watching him on the ice, there was a comfort level when Al was on the ice. That it's just like. Al's got it. You know, Al's out there. Everything's going to be okay. And, you know, Al assisted my first goal against Patrick Waugh on my dad's birthday. And, you know, like there's some moments and and Al's just a guy like I, I had a responsibility for me that I didn't just protect these guys on, on the ice. I was their protector off the ice. And I didn't mean I needed to go around throwing punches and being nothing, but 
it was just like I just waited until all the the guys got off the bus, and then whenever those guys got off the bus, I'm just like I'm going to walk with them just in case something happens. They need to. I need to make sure that I'm around these guys because they're players, and I need to protect them. And that was back in the day when we used to walk through airports and stuff before 9/11 and everything else happened. When we started to get a little bit more private with our flights, but. You know, Al was just that guy in the dressing room that made everybody feel like it was going to be okay. Um, he's unbelievable to the people. You know, his wife is one of the nicest ladies I've ever met. His kid, one of his oldest son, well, his middle son's actually in the, I think, place for the Columbus Blue Jackets, or he's kind of been up and down in their organization. His oldest son's a, a St. Louis County police officer, like raised great kids, just one of the best guys I've ever been around in my life. And I would do anything for Al. Like I, he's just an absolute legend and one of the best players that I've ever watched play hockey. Then he's one of the top five best defensemen ever to play the game. He was known for a slap shot, but he had such a great stick and he's way more physical than anybody ever give him credit for. Um, he's just a, he's just an absolute legend. There's really no other way to, to express it in my words. Well, I'm sure glad I brought up Al McKennis, man. Because I'm telling you, he was one of my favorites to read. And and I'm just, I'm in my glory hearing these details about one of my heroes, bro. So yeah. thank you very much, man. I used to say, I, so, you know, we're the grocery stick, right? We stopped the forwards from running into the D. And, uh, yeah. and, and I, so I used to get to sit beside these guys and I'd be like, we'd be sitting on the bench and I'd be like yucking it up with Al and Prongs and all the boys. And I'm just like... I'm on the bench and ever like most guys would be bitching that they aren't getting ice time, which I wanted a little more ice time too. But I, I don't know. I just always felt like I won the lottery, you know, like I, I worked hard and, and I didn't take no for an answer. And there's a lot of stuff that I did that others weren't willing to do. But, you know, I look at it like it was, I was so lucky to be in that position. I had the best seat in the box. You know what I mean? Like I got to see it all. I got to be a part of it all. I got to understand it all. I got to learn the game of hockey in a different way then anybody else gets the opportunity to learn and just so thankful. Well, yeah, Reed. And, and how I know that you're dedicated like that and that you're passionate and that you really loved being there is just the way that you went about your career. Like brother, they threw you in the coast to start yeah. in the toughest era. So Reed. little story about that. They didn't throw me anywhere. I asked to go. You asked. Yeah, I was sitting, I was a healthy scratch every night in Worcester. And that, that my first year in 97, 98, um, the uh, Worcester Ice Cats were sharing uh, 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 a team with Ottawa and the St. Louis Blues. Oh, and dual so, affiliate. Yeah, dual affiliate. So I couldn't get in the lineup. And, and I was a little bit out of shape. Like I didn't work out as much as I got drafted. Then I signed a fat contract, or at least what I thought was fat. And I was like, you know, I probably didn't put as much effort into that summer's training in 20 in 1997 as I should have. Um, and so they ended up sending me down for a weekend into Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Baton Rouge Kingfish. And I, uh, uh, I really enjoyed myself down there. I got to play. I got a ton of ice time. I was like super happy. And so anyways, they called me. I got three points in four games. So they called me right back up. They're like, okay, he can't be down there. And then I played five games with the with the Ice Cats, and then I was back in and out of the lineup. And then it came to like the end of uh, 
uh, November, beginning of December, I want to say. And I'd only played like nine games. And I'm just like, I went into Greg, Bil- uh, Greg Gilbert's office and I was like, I go, listen, I know that I'm on a two-way contract and, and I don't have to accept anything. And I've already accepted going down there, but I need to improve my game. And I, and I obviously can't do it here in practice without getting any game time. I'm like, would you guys just send me to Baton Rouge for a couple months and, and let me kind of get my game on? And, and so they're like, yeah. And so down I went and uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Okay, so Reed, I'm I'm loving the story, bro, and and my juices are flowing hearing this kind of hunger from a hockey player that wants to play in the NHL. Okay, so that's the hockey side of me. Okay, Reed, but now, Mr. Reed Lowe, I need you to be completely honest with me, because I have a really good friend. His name's Dan Sullivan, and and, and he played in Baton Rouge when I was in in the American League. He was on. He played for Baton Rouge. Buddy, he had the time of his life playing there. He met one of the hottest chicks when he was down there, right? You got okay. So I just want to know: was that a little bit of part of the decision, bro? <laughs> this is a kid bro. from Moose Jaw, which so, is a great place, great place to raise a family. But Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is a little bit different, right? Was that a thrill for you, though, to play in places like that, like even no. St. Louis, but? I, I, I honestly, um, so when I went down there, I flew down there and I rode around, I got a ride here and there. Right. And then whenever exactly. I like asked to go down there for a little bit, like I drove my truck down. So I drove 20 some hours down there and I had, and I signed a pretty nice ticket. Like I was a seventh round pick, but back in 97, when I signed, it was probably considered third round money because of what okay. I did my overage year. So I got a pretty nice signing bonus and I had a brand new, uh toyota forerunner it was all pimped out had the gold trim on it and everything you'd have loved it it was hilarious i look Jeez. back on it now and just be like what were you doing anyways uh, i get down there and and they used to call me meat or like nuke lelouch as uh uh that old baseball movie uh well, i can't even think of the name of it but um so it was there was a little bit of like fun that came along with it and um you know obviously LSU's there. Um, so I got to experience what that was like 250,000 people going to a tailgate, 75,000 people go in the stadium, and there were 175,000 people go to all the local bars. Um, you know, obviously, the ladies were, were pretty down there as well, like you said. And, uh, you know, it was just crazy because these guys didn't really know what hockey was. And we had like a 10,000 seat arena there, and we sold that son of a bitch out there Come every on. night. We had me and Cam Brown and a couple other guys that used to fight all the time. And we used to just like shit kick it, man. And it was one of, like I said, it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had in my life. And uh, Baton Rouge is an awesome town. I haven't been back there in a while, but I hope someday I can get back there just to kind of check it out and see what it's like now. Um, And then I got, I ended up getting called up. My grandfather actually passed away. And um, for whatever reason, I got called up and I ended up playing like, the last 10 or 12 games of the season. And I got to play all the, the regular season or the playoff games with the Worcester ice cats too. And you know, that's just a moment where God doesn't close doors without opening any others. And um, so it's just all the way around. My first year was a little bit up and down at the beginning, but you know, you just, you just go after it. And, and I just, I was too stupid to say no. I mean, I mean, so read. Okay. So, so yes, that happens. But then the next two seasons, bro, 
You are so consistent. You're playing 77 games, then 80 games. So I think that it was 80 game seasons, right? So you pretty much played two full years, playing all the games, being the tough guy, fighting all the heavyweights, throwing your weight around, diving in front of pucks, blocking shots, somehow getting in the lineup every single night with no injuries that would keep you out of the lineup anyway, because I know you had injuries. Brother, then... Not only do you get 11 points that, that, that year, but brother, you pretty much triple, triple your points the second year. Meanwhile, getting 200 and 200 penalty minutes. So you're obviously fighting everybody. Bro, you put in the work for two years in the AHL in its toughest era, my friend. Yeah, I, so I had, I don't know what, how many fights, but it was somewhere in the 40s. Um, <sighs> At my that my second year when I had all those pims and, and eleven points, and uh, I didn't get a lot of ice time that year. I I, I was I, my skating was still not developed enough, um, and I just wasn't I wasn't there. And and so I get three or four or five shifts, and I just get pissed off. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go out and fight somebody, you know. And you know, I got to the end of that season, my second season in the minor leagues, and I played the whole year there, and. I was obviously one of the tougher guys in the league. And, and uh, I went into that meeting with Larry Plow at the end of the season. I'm like, Larry, like if I can't even get in, like can't even get any ice time here, how am I ever supposed to make the NHL? And he's like, Lozy, he's like, you, you gotta, you gotta improve your game. You gotta improve your skating. You've got to be able to not be a liability at the next level. And so I went home that summer and I hired a gal named Leanne Davies and she was um, working out of a rink um, on about, 15 minutes on the other side of Regina, Saskatchewan. And I lived in Moose Jaw, but I lived at a, at a little lake about 20 minutes north. So it was about an hour and 30 minutes for me to drive one way. And I drove one way or two ways, like almost three hours a day. Plus I spent an hour and a half on the ice for six weeks straight, Monday through Friday, going in there and working on my skating and training my skating. And Kelly Chase will tell you, he's our, it's, it's, He's, he's already said it like it's in I want to say it was in like one of the hockey magazines back in the early 2000s that the improvement in my skating in my game that I made from my second year pro to my third year pro was the biggest difference that he's ever seen in his hockey life. And I, w- I went from being a guy that was never going to make the NHL to committing to doing something like that, to committing to six hours a day. And then I had to train for two hours in my my body, my workouts on top of that. I, I, and I ended up being the last cut. And if we wouldn't have draft, like that was when they used to have their waiver draft at the end of the uh, training yeah. camp. And we picked up Terry Yake and me and Tyson Nash were sitting in the hotel room and Tyson Nash was in his fourth year pro. And I was in my third year pro. So I didn't have to clear waivers and Nasher did. And we're like, we're the last two guys. We're like 23 man roster. We're 23 and 24. And we're sitting there. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, Nasher, I'm like, they're going to pick somebody up and it's going to be you and I'm going to get sent to the minors. And I said, I just, I feel it. And it's exactly what happened. They picked up Terry Yake and they sent me to the minors and they were like, man, we are so happy with you, Lozy. Like, we just don't take this as a demotion. You're going to get a shit ton of ice time down there. And I did. I ended up having 28 points or something like that. 10, yeah, 12 goals, something to assist. I, I played on the power play. I played on the penalty killing. 
man, I killed penalties on defense on five on threes. Like they could not get me on the ice enough. And, and literally if I look back on it, one of my favorite seasons of hockey ever, just because of my part in the team and, and, and how much I got the opportunity to play at that type of level. And then I made the NHL the next year. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. And, but again, it's just not taking no for an answer. Well, Reed, I mean, exactly. Not taking no for an answer. And just to add to that, Reed, it was one of your best years, most memorable years, brother, because you buddy, you were putting up numbers that first and second liners put up in seasons, brother. I mean, you're, you played pretty much 60 games and had 30 points. You know what I'm saying? That's yep. second line stats, right? <laughs> but wait a second. But I'm going to add 228 PIMS. And, and 40 plus majors. And brother, when you do something like that, that's very, very special. It's very, very, very special. And what I think is even more special is how you Saskatchewan boys stick together. Because that story that you told me about the dedication that you had to put in to improve your skating read, I had heard stories like that. I played with a gentleman named Nathan Page. Pacher. He's yeah. an 83 birth date. I think he's his town is 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 it Melbourne? Melbourne, yeah. I want to say he played in Moose Jaw, didn't he? He played in Moose Jaw, but he played with me and for the Rochester Amherst in the AHL for a couple seasons. Yeah. And he would tell me about the Saskatchewan boys. And I remember him talking about this low guy that his skating went from here. To hear. And, and like, I'm telling you, man, you guys promote each other well. Nathan Page is, he's, he's a big, he's a big supporter of yours. He, he, at least he used to be, man, because I heard some great stories about Reed Lowe. Never met this guy, but knew that his skating did some incredible improving, you know, just over a couple years span. So that got out, my friend. You had some, some, you know, guy that thought he was a tough guy playing for the Amherst hearing this story in the early 2000s, man. So that's pretty cool. I, I like that. Did you guys have pretty decent pro skates in Saskatchewan, like in the summers? Because there's a lot of guys that are pro players from that area of Canada. I, uh, you know, typically for me, I didn't have it in Moosha. Um, okay. so I always used to come down to St. Louis early. I'd always come down three weeks early. But I uh, we still I still skated with my buddies and 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 we had some decent hockey players back in the day. So I would rent some ice and I'd bring a bunch of the boys out and and we'd have some fun. But I made sure that I got to St. Louis early and you know typically I would either rent a hotel room or you know one of the boys would let me crash on their couch or something like that. And you know when I wasn't on the team and then obviously when I was on the team I was coming back early um, and 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 staying in my place that I that I kept. But um, you know it's a uh, Saskatchewan, everybody's so spread out there, man. Like, yeah, Regina and Saskatoon and Moose Jaw, and then if you take Prince Albert into it, which is about twenty-five or thirty thousand people. After that, like, it drops off significantly. So, um, you know, it was uh, I didn't have a lot of that, so I had to go try and find it somewhere else. But at the end of the day, I loved it back there, and um, it was something that I wanted to be a part of and and go back and see my family because. I never got an opportunity to see him for most of the year. Okay. And thank you for sharing that. 
So now let's get to the juiciest training camp in preseason, I believe, was of your career. Let's talk about this training camp where you made the team, brother. Talk to me about that training camp. I, I love training camps, man. So um, it's it was kind of a messed up one for me. My dad and my sister drove down and surprised me. And I just finished having that 28-point, 200-and-some-odd penalty minute. Yeah. How many fights I had that that year. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the chasers retired. They don't have like they have a couple guys in camp, but I'm like I'm actually in hockey news is I'm I'm on the prospects report like, and tough guys really didn't get on the prospects report. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was yeah. on the prospects report, and uh, for training camp, knowing that like I was the guy, and and I had to clear waivers, so I knew that I was probably going to get sent down. And the year before, um. I told you that I was sitting in there with Tyson Nash. Well, Tyson Nash had a good year. And so because we were both overagers when we left the junior hockey, the way that the rules worked is if you didn't play 80 games as a 24-year-old in the NHL, if you hadn't played 80 games and you were 25, then you were going to be an unrestricted free agent. Because of the amount of time that we played in junior and the amount of time that we played in the minors, we were both under the same thing. So the St. Louis Blues had to give Tyson Nash like a million, like a three million dollar deal, and he probably would have got six or seven hundred if he would have just been a guy that was a restricted free agent. But he was going to be an unrestricted free agent, and so they had to quote unquote overpay him. And so they get into training camp, and I'm there, and they see that I'm in amazing shape and I'm ready to rock and roll, and they're like, "Oh gosh!" So they know that I'm in that same position that I could have played all year long. And that I would have been an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year if I didn't play 80 games. Well, ev everybody knew I was going to be a healthy scratch at some point in time. They just won the president's trophy. The team was stacked. You know, I was going to be on the team and there was going to be moments where I was going to be in the lineup. But there was no way I was going to play 80 of 82 games and, and stop them, stop it from me being a restricted free agent. So John Ferguson Jr. gets on the phone at training camp with my agent, Brad Devine, Thunder Creek Sports at a Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And he starts talking to him. He's like, listen, you know, we just dealt with this Tyson Nash thing and we're not going to want to deal with it next year and overpay Reed. So let's try and get a solid contract locked up for the next three years. And I was I didn't have a contract. They gave me my uh, uh, qualifying offer. At Your group two screw. What's that? Your group two free agent screw, group two screw, they used to call it. You're talking yeah. about your fourth year pro when they do the 10% increase yeah. in the NHL. Yeah. Well, I got the 10% and I got, I was making, I was making 75 in the minors the year before that. And because of the two, right on. whatever you said, I, I only got 45 or something like that. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to take my chances. I know that I'm probably going to be in the NHL somewhere. So even if the blues put me on waivers, like I'm going to figure this shit out. Right. And so, yeah. They, um, they start negotiating with my agent. And my agent's like, guys, if you're not going to give Losey a one-way deal, like we might as well stop talking. And so they're like, okay, well, we want a three-year deal and we'll give them a one-way in the third year. And so I'm going back and forth in training camp. I'm trying to play in training camp. And I'm trying to listen to my agent negotiate a contract for the next three years of my life. And I am rattlestiltskin right now. And so we go back. He's like, okay, listen, I've got two years one-way. The, the first year is going to be two way. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, I go, I'm like, Brad, I, I I was sick. I ended up missing a day at training camp. And so Brad calls John Ferguson Jr. And he's like, listen, Losey's sick in his 
hotel room puking his guts out because he's trying to make a freaking hockey team and all he can think about is what's going to happen for the next three years of his life and he's and he's freaking out he's like so i'm taking the deal off the table you guys can run the risk you either give him this a a, a three-year one-way contract or we're not signing and i'm like freaking the fuck out excuse my language exactly exactly what was going on and so they come back and i hadn't played a game in the nhl not one game in the nhl and i got a three-year one-way contract for 360 450 and 600 and 600 600 was my last year which was brad was playing the the game because they had to qualify me at 660 when I was done that. So I hadn't played a game in the NHL, and I got a three-year, $1.45 million contract that was 100% completely guaranteed, and I had not played a game in the NHL. Thank you, Tyson Nash. I love you forever. <laughs> Dude, that is amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's amazing. You've never heard anything like that happening before, have you, Reed? Never. No. Or, or since. No, no, no. They've they they've got it all rigged differently now. The rookies like there's there's none of that happening. Dude, that is amazing. And you know what? Good for you, dude. Good for you, Reed, because you know what? You deserved it, right? But not only that, but it kind of showed that there was some respect for the tough guy too, Reed. Yeah. Right? Or 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 we can just say, you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. A lot yeah. of a lot of moments where I was like, I did something that most wouldn't, like ask to go to the minor leagues or accept a minor league option when most guys might be like asking for trades or being whatever. And I'm like, hey, listen, like I got to be better, right? And so I kind of look at it as a little bit of a reward for what I'd kind of put myself, like what I had accepted and the things that I had done, right? Yeah. No, hell yeah. And, and and you 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 earn that every single penny you yeah. earn, brother. This is the toughest era in pro hockey history, especially in the American League. Reed, holy yeah, it was, smokes! It was a fight or two every night. Oh man, right? So every me, bro, you you earn that. So now, buddy, now now this is this is where it's getting juicy. So now you're in the National Hockey League. You were so reliable, Reed, with your time in St. Louis. Just just very productive. Your PIMS, very productive every single year. And I'm looking at it like this guy, he really puts everything he's got into this to be able to be that consistent in the National Hockey League over that amount of time, Reed. It's so impressive. How comfortable were you in St. Louis, buddy, to be that consistent? Well, first off, I had guys like Chris Pronger, Al McKenna, Scott Mellonby, Keith Kachuk, Pavel Dimitra, you know. And then we go to the guys like my buddies that I used to hang out with, you know, Lubos Barteco, Michael Hansus, Marty Reisner, you know, Bryce Salvador, Jamal Mayers, Tyson Nash, those types of guys. And I was the only guy on the team that was a heavyweight or a guy that was going to be the fighter, even though – you know, Sal would fight a little bit. Jamal would fight a little bit, you know, and, and, but it wasn't like their role like it was mine. And at the end of the day, you know, again, going back to that moment where 
the the exception the the acceptance that I got from my teammates is what drove that right and and I remember uh, I was in nine fights in my first nine NHL games I was in 17 fights in my first 26 games and I ended up having thir- 23 fights in 56 games that year and Joel wow. Quinville pulled me in after seven games he's like are you gonna fight every night I'm like did you pull Keith Kachuk in here before and ask if you want him to score goals every night <laughs> And he's like, what does that mean? I'm like, Joel, if I got to fight every night, I'm ready to do it. But honestly, I was so, my anxiety was so high that I wanted to, I I almost went out there looking for it on my first shift or a couple shifts so that I could almost take the weight off and say, okay, listen, I got my fight out of the way. Now I can go play. Now I can go have some fun, right? And if I got to get another fight, no big deal because I can still be on the bench, da, 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 da. Um, and so that was kind of my mindset with it all along. And, you know, there's some ebbs and flows and ups and downs and things that you do over your time of your career that you wish you could have done differently or done better, like hindsight's 2020. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I was pretty genuine in what I wanted and, and what my role was. And I, I was, I knew what it was and I didn't shy away from it. And, you know, if you look at my fight card, there's not very many guys that were heavyweights in the NHL that didn't fight. Exactly. No, Reed, you took on everybody. Like, like, that's no doubt. This is what I'm curious about. Now, at that time, this era of the NHL, Reed, most NHL teams, they have they had two guys on the at NHL least. roster. And the Blackhawks now, why do five. you think? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I said, and the Blackhawks had five. Yeah, exactly. 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 Now, why do you think that the time, your time with St. Louis, that you guys didn't have two guys? What's your opinion on that? I guess they just felt like they had it covered with me. That's what I think. I think because this is what they're doing. Like, I'm not sure what happened the first year, Reed, right? Because that was, you have to admit, even though you obviously dominated at the American League level, this was going to be your first shot in the show, right? So they yeah. took a little bit of a risk putting all the weight on the rookie shoulders, okay? Then well, they have their year. I will Sorry, say my first year, um, I can't discount this because he was actually in town last night. I had dinner with him. One of my very good friends and my first NHL mentor, even as much as Ch- Kelly Chase have helped me, uh, Reed Simpson was on that team Ooh. as well. So Simmer, fought, Simmer was on there, but – we play a little bit on the same line, but typically like Simmer is in the lineup or I was in the lineup, one of the two, but there was moments when we both got to play. Um, but my second and third and fourth years, um, you know, again, my supporting cast was like a guy like Jamal Mayers or Bryce Salvador and, you know, Sal and Jammer probably had 10 or 12 fights a year, but um, you know, nothing like the 25 that, you know, you, you know, typically guys were averaging at that year, but my first year, uh, Reed Simpson was my roommate, and he was also, like, such a good guy. And I was actually – we were at friends of mine last night for dinner, and I was telling them that, you know, he was so good to me because you know how it can be in minor pro and in the and, and in the NHL where, you know, he was a veteran. He could have sewered me. He could have told me a bunch of stuff that was wrong and and not treated me the way that would help me. And he was that guy. Uh, he took me under his wing. He took me out with him. He made sure that we talked a lot. We went out for lunches all the time. 
Reed Simpson's one of the best guys ever. And dude, if you, I will get your his contact information to you. He is entertaining as hell. He's got the best list of celebrity friends I've ever seen in my life. He's one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. And I, I, I it was an absolute godsend that he was in my, he was on my team and my fellow tough guy in my rookie season. Or I might not have made it through it. Wow. Well, that that that's impressive, man. And I, I'm a I'm a fan of Reed Simpson. Like I I'm 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 a fan of him. I followed him for a long time. But dude, hearing this type of info, man, that that's that's even cooler, Reed. That that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. How about this? He played in the Western Hockey League too, and he played in Prince Albert. And his last year before he turned pro, he had 35 goals that year. No way. Yeah, look the stats up. Guy could play, man. And again, a, a lot of us could play, right? Like we yeah. just uh, uh, Tony Twist tells it the best when he says that being a tough guy in the NHL is like having to go to school every day knowing that the toughest guy in school wanted to kick the shit out of you at the end of school, but you still had to have straight A's all the way through without being distracted. <laughs> right? Like that's 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 what we lived as tough guys. And again, um, if I didn't have the enforcer role, I would have never made the NHL. And I tell this story all the time as well. I'm very disappointed in the National Hockey League. And I'm very disappointed in junior hockey getting off of an enforcer bandwagon because some kid that has the same set of balls as you and me and the rest of us that have done this job and is willing to be the best teammate and sacrifice his own body for his teammates to be safe on the ice isn't going to get an opportunity to live the dream that I lived. And that's really, really sad because we're the first to the charity event. We're the last to leave. I have an appreciation of my NHL career, in my opinion, that's more than any other player that wasn't an enforcer. Because if I didn't have that, even though that all the guys would tell you that it's the toughest job in hockey and everything else that comes under it, for me to have that was everything to me because it was something that only I could do. Joel Quinville, I, was, I went in Joel Quinville's office once and I said, I want more ice time. He's like, Lozy, I love you to pieces. You're a great kid, but there's nobody on the team that can do what you do. So this is what your role is. You're just going to have to suck it up. We'll give you a raise next year. <laughs> I'm like, okay, at least you're honest to me. You know what I mean? And there's like it's it's very disheartening to me the way that they're doing it, even though hockey was up 30 percent fighting last year. Um, those guys that were enforcers that that could have had the same opportunity that I have aren't going to get that someday down the line. And and that's sad because those kids are good kids. They're really good kids, Reed. I feel the exact same as you. I feel that hockey kind of, in a way, like obviously not ruined the sport, but I feel that they went in the wrong direction for too long, Reed. Yep. And I feel that the way that our things are going right now, because of the ongoing lawsuits and everything, the NHL is pretty much just scared to reintroduce a part of the game that's going to sell the tickets that's going to get the TV ratings back up in the United States, that's going to solve a lot of problems for the league. I hey. believe, Reed, if you get your fifth fighting major, that you will qualify for a special insurance. They need to try to protect the players, Reed. The players weren't protected when you did it, Reed. Yep. You were signed because you were a tough enough guy 
that was willing to go through the wall for your teammates. And the NHL team said, Reed Lowe is tough enough and strong enough and man enough to do everything that the other 22 guys are not willing to do. So we're going to sign him to an NHL contract. Are we going to have a coach for Reed Lowe? No. Are we going to have a guy that's overseeing to see if he's getting concussions? No. Are, are we going to have anybody taking care of Reed? Like we have face-off coaches, defensive coaches, power play coaches, strength and conditioning coaches. There's so many coaches, Reed. But there wasn't a coach for the tough guy like yourself that so many of your teammates relied on that was a fan favorite that probably sold the most tickets. You had such an impact in the game, Reed. And it upsets me that the NHL did not take care of your type of player better. Do you feel any type of way about this topic that I'm that I'm saying right now? Yeah, um, I the fact that the you know that's this is the first time that I've heard it articulated like this. So I'm I'm taking a second to digest it because I'm it's it's kind of taking me back a little bit. Um, yes. But my only res- my only response would be, knowing what I know now, if I had the opportunity to rewind my life 25 years and sign again, knowing that in 15 years I might not know anybody, I might not have any memory, I might not know where I'm at, I might not know any of the stuff with the concussions and everything else that, that have potentially come, just from playing hockey, not being a tough guy, um, I'd sign the dotted line again. Um, because of the life that I was able to live and because of the life that I'm able to give back to today from the, 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 the place that I live at. But the one thing that I will say is that when, when I, when I take a look at um, the concussion protocol and where the concussions are problems is that a guy like Scott Stevens caused so many more concussions than I ever did. <laughs> it's not even funny. And and again, it, it's the hard hitting. It's the it's the it's that that caused it. Like, yeah, listen, we I got George Zarak hit me so hard in the face so many times. Yeah, I was concussed that night. And and again, back when I played, they didn't have the protocols either. They're like, hold three fingers up, and I'd say, no, there's only two, and they're like, close enough, get back out That's there. Good. Right? So they didn't they didn't have a protocol like they have today. So they're working in their ways to make it better. But eliminating that enforcer role from the NHL is not happening. Wayne Gretzky didn't even get body checked. Sidney Crosby spent two nine-month stints on the IR for a concussion. Like, yeah. period. End of statement. Done. You guys can talk all you want about it. And the media and, 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 and the NHL can kind of say whatever they want. But – Having a tough guy on the team was never a detriment. And, and if you were asked any single one of us, if we would, knowing the risks that we laid our lives on every single day for our team, would we do it again in a fucking heartbeat? Damn right, man. I, I Man, rock on, Reed. Rock on, bro. Like that, like it needs to be said. And this is the type of stuff that gets me so passionate about doing this type of platform read because here I got a legit, legit, legit NHL heavyweight that played such a long time in the NHL. And I'm telling you, Reed, what if there was a guy 
that work for the Blues. Now, nothing. Now, St. Louis Blues, best organization NHL. So this is nothing to pick apart the Blues organization, but this would be the NHL mandating. What if there was a guy that oversaw the players? That and and the only way to kind of qualify would be have to be the fighting majors, right? So let's say the guys that had five or more majors the previous season, right? There's a guy that would oversee them, that could teach them how to hold their hand read so they don't break it, how to break your fall. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a guy, Reed, that gets called up from Wooster that tried to to tag team with you, and maybe he was just getting his head pounded in, and, and, and he was getting concussion after concussion. So then the guy would be like saying to your GM or, or Mr. Quenville, you know what? This guy that we called up to help Reed, he's going to get hurt. He really doesn't have it in him. He's getting concussed every fight. We got to send him back down. This isn't for him, right? Yeah. It's a guy. It's something to protect the players. Reed, they right? don't, they, but they don't understand that there's a protection level that we offered. You know, they look at it as barbaric, even though, People, people didn't. Not only did people not go get a hot dog when there was a hockey fight on, they ran away from the fucking concession concession stand to go watch the fight, and left their that's, wallet. There. That's that's that. Yeah, they like left like, hey, here's a you know, like here, here's my wallet, whatever, right? They never even thought about it. And and again, you know, it's 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 the it's the it's the the people out there that that didn't want to see it. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to to change it. It's going to evolve itself, um, but you're going to see it come back. Uh, the part that frustrates me, and we haven't seen it make its way as far as I know into the Western Hockey League, but I know that there's some fighting rules uh, in the Ontario Hockey League where after you get a certain amount of fights, you get a game suspension and then another game suspension. You know, and it's just like, so it deters guys from doing it. Now, does a guy need to have a fight every two nights like I had? Maybe that's a little overboard. I don't know. Like maybe there's a happy medium in there to where we figure it out. But at the end of the day, um, we've got a special group of friends that are, are tough guys. We know what it's like to not be able to sleep the night before. Um, I was scared to death every single time I got in a fight. Like, look, you, you know, when I played – most teams had two, some had three. So we're, we're looking at maybe the 50, 60, 70 toughest guys in the world on skates and the only legal bare-knuckle fighting in the world. Oh, yeah, by the way, I had to punch a helmet or rip it off to get at your skull, right? And, and I was trying to punch through your face, not to your face, right? And I took boxing lessons, and I... You know, I, when I was 18 years old, coming out of my first year of junior hockey, tier two junior hockey, I, I couldn't throw with my left hand and everybody kept tying on my right hand. So I, I, I tied a tensor bandage around a heavy bag and I punched with my left hand as hard as and fast as I could until my arm absolutely felt like it was going to fall off. And I did that every single day in the gym before. And I went back to my Minot days and, and my second year and I was just destroying guys with my left hand because nobody knew what was going on in that era, right? With that moment and especially at that level. And so I, I, I hope that we can find a way to get a happy medium on having tough guys and that representation. Again, in baseball, they throw at guys. Football, uh, they really don't have, you know, you, 
you know, find a guy on a crackback and <laughs> you can get them that way. But everybody has their way of retribution. And, you know, that's something that I think is very important for fucking athletes to be able to leave on the field. Um, and, and I hope that they can get it right. Man, I am loving every single word you're saying, Mr. Reed Low. I'm actually I'm loving it. If it's it's so strong, and I'm really hoping a lot of individuals hear this, Reed, because this is very important stuff. Very important to me and very important to my base for the show. So I'm really, really glad that we brought up these talking points, my friend. And Mr. Reed Low, while we're on the topic, there's a few more that things that we need to get into on this. So I need to put you on the spot. You're on the hot seat, Reed Low. I need you to come back to the show for a part two. Will you agree on the recording to come back to the Sheriff Podcast for a part two, Mr. Reed Low? A uh, 1,000%. Oh, yes. Yes. There's so much <laughs> stuff I want to get to. But this is the thing. Because the podcast, the way we talked right now, the insight that you showed, buddy, I, the detail that you gave, that's what a real show is all about. This is golden stuff. This is what gets people talking. The things that we want, how the game to improve, the way that we want it to move, Reed, this is how it is. This is awareness, and from awareness comes action. You got to get people talking, brother. There's a few more talking points I want to get into with the part two. But, man, do I ever want to represent the whole listening base to say I appreciate you sharing these fine details, my friend. And it was so beautiful. Some of the stories, man, especially with your father and with Al McKennis, man, it is something that is absolutely priceless, Reed. And I, I want to thank you for coming on this show, brother. It was a, made a really big deal to me, but it was an honor to have such a tough guy on as well, my man. Listen, um, I love it. Uh, I love talking about what we did. You and I have an understanding of what it's like to live in fear, um, and, uh, but yet overcome it um with action um that helps our mates out so we're good um i i, I just I, I think you're doing a great job uh you you speak all the right points um you've got all the right passions um you get it you understand it and you're trying to make a difference and so you just let me know when you need me on and uh, i'll be there any day i appreciate that so much buddy thank you so much reed and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff with special, special guest, Mr. Resilient, Reliable, and Tough as Nails, Mr. Reed Lowe. Thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I'm going to sign off right now, guys. We'll see you next time. Woo! <laughs>